This is episode 22 with Troy Weber. This episode of Success Secrets is brought to you by SuccessWorks. Tell your story, share your passion, and serve the world. A digital agency that helps you with branding, websites, video, and so much more to be able to connect to your customers thousands at a time. Hey everybody, I got an exciting episode for you today with Troy Weber, the president of Chesterfield Auto Parts, who have been in business for over 70 years. While being a young entrepreneur and taking over the family business, he has tremendous insights and leadership. And what you're going to learn today is the importance of forethought in long-term planning. Why you should embrace change and adapt with the market to allow you to thrive the benefit of keeping yourself in the customer's minds and how listening and adjusting through customer feedback helps your business. That and so much more in adapting to changing demographics in his world. You're going to learn so much. So let's go ahead and get up close and personal with Troy Weber. Welcome to the show, Troy. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate you having me. Well, Troy, uh, this company has such a legacy here in the Richmond area. Uh, Tell the viewers who don't know very much about Chesterfield Auto Parts how it got started and then how you got involved. Well, the original Chesterfield Auto Parts here in Richmond was started in the late 1930s by a man named Nelson Royal, uh, who later opened up Southside Speedway in Midlothian. Um, and then my grandfather, who had known him, uh, bought the business in 1947. So this is our 70th anniversary in 2017. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, and my grandfather continued to operate it until 1958 when he changed the name to Chesterfield Auto Parts because in 1958, this was actually Chesterfield County. Right. Um, uh, my dad also came into the business, um, bought it from my grandfather in 1977, I believe. And he opened up Circle Auto Recycling, our second location in Prince George in 1991. Okay. Uh, he also went on to open up a couple other yards throughout the country with a few partners. Um, and then, uh, you know, sold that partnership in the early 2000s and retired by 2008, selling the business to me. Um, so then in 2013, we opened up our third location on Genito Road, right next to Southside Speedway, coincidentally, uh, Southside Auto Recycling. So that's how I became in the business. So what were some of the challenges going through, and, and especially for you, you're, you're uh, you were taking a helmet at a pretty young age. How did you go through that process, and what are some of the challenges? It was challenging. challenging. Uh, you know, I was 28 years old when I became the president of, of the two corporations, and, and you know, that was a big, uh, it, it was kind of a, a lot to take on, but I had spent so many years growing up in the business, obviously, before I technically came to work in 1995. I would come out here during the summers and uh, tinker with the cars, so... Uh, I'd also worked on the sales counter all through high school. I'd worked in the production shop and managed every part of the business. So by the time uh, 2008 rolled around, my dad had really, uh, you know, stepped back from, you know, quote, operating the business and handed that over to me. So, um, you know, as far as the day-to-day tick-tock, how does it work, I was comfortable. However, it, it was still a lot of, you know, pressure, <laughs> obviously, to be in charge of, you know, 70-plus families. Um, and trying to run a successful multi-million dollar a year business at the age of 28, having not gone to college. Uh, it, it certainly was a lot of pressure, but I had a lot of help from my family. And again, I, I had spent so long in the business and was familiar with it enough and had really 
taken over the reins, so to speak. By that time, I really just wanted my dad to get out of my office. So, yeah. Well, when other entrepreneurs are thinking about uh, kind of changing over the helms and, and handing it down to the next generation, uh, what did you think some of the things your dad did right, and what are some of the things that um, you know, if there's another entrepreneur trying to do the same thing that they need to really think about and consider, and maybe you didn't uh, see until you actually, you know, got into it. That's a good question. Uh, my dad, I think, had a unique perspective because, to my grandfather's credit, I don't think my dad was really satisfied or happy or, in, in retrospect, would have done the changeover between my grandfather and he the same way. So he was very conscious in the le- in the years leading up to uh, you know, the transition, that we were structuring the businesses accordingly, that we were setting up our own, um, you know, personal uh, things to make sure that transition could happen easily without making big tax burdens on the business or my parents. So um, that was something that we started looking into years in advance, you know, when the the date came in April 2008, it wasn't as if my dad said, okay, kid, here's the keys, it's all yours now. <laughs> Um, for all intents and purposes, it was done you know, months in advance of that. So we put a lot of time into making sure that the businesses were incorporated the way they should, that I held the proper positions. Uh, it is certainly a unique ex- experience having one family member take over from another. It's much different than any other situation because uh, you know, when one business goes in and buys another business, each party has their own inherent interest that they're looking out for. Yeah. When it was between my dad and I, we basically had a common interest. (laughs) So that certainly made it a lot easier. Um, But it was uh, another thing that he did that I I think was the right thing to do. Maybe at the time it seemed burdensome, but in hindsight uh, was obviously the right thing is to get a third-party outside assessor to assess the businesses. It wasn't as if... if, um, You know, my dad sold me the business at some, you know, low rate just to make it easy for me to pay. Um, He sold the businesses to me at what the businesses were worth. Um, Mm. The the way that he was able to help me was by, you know, making the purchase, uh, you know, easier. But it wasn't as if we were undervaluing the businesses to make it an easy transition for me. This was also my dad's retirement. It still continues to be. So... I certainly didn't want to leave my parents in a burden that they didn't have enough money. Um, And so we, again, we'd put a lot of thought and effort into how are we going to evaluate the businesses for cost purposes. Plus, if at some point uh, I want to sell the businesses, then the people are going to look at what I bought the businesses for. And if I bought it for, you know, a, a song and a dance, that would certainly affect what I could theoretically sell the business for down the road. So my dad did a lot of really good things. And, and probably um, did everything right. I can't think of anything that we should have done uh, in hindsight because, again, like I said, it was a mutually beneficial process that we made sure we did. With that being said, you, know, you alluded to some of the positions you had. How did he groom you to be ready for this position and knowing the actual business itself so you're able to run it? Because I've seen so many mm-hmm. um, you know, kids that inherit their their parents' business run into the ground. Yeah. So how how did you get prepared for that, or how did he prepare you for that? My dad was very conscious of making sure that I appreciated uh, everything that that he had built up and that my grandfather had built up. It was certainly never a time that I got uh, you know preferential treatment when I was working in the production shop. I was punching oil pans yeah. and. <laughs> 
uh, getting hey. covered in oil and antifreeze and grease and carrying gas tanks and um, I earned it. Uh, You're in the thing. trenches. Exactly. Um, same thing with the sales counter. I, you know, didn't just stick me out there as a manager right out of the box. You know, I had to learn how cars worked. I had to learn how to interact with customers. It wasn't always a positive experience. But he was never my direct supervisor. He was very conscious about making sure that the managers that he had mm. in place in each department was my boss. Yeah, uh, he sense. told them very plainly, he is just an employee. Uh, <laughs> so I couldn't come in late. And if and when I did, I certainly had to pay the same consequences that everybody else did. Um, gotcha. Obviously, my uh, training, so to speak, was at an accelerated rate. I said I yeah. didn't go to college. However, I did go to college classes. I went to a local community college and took business courses. Um, but it got to a point where all I had left was physical education and electives. And my dad and I made a conscious decision that instead of spending two years taking PE and bowling, uh, <laughs> that I would be better served using what I had learned in the actual business that I was going to be going into. Makes sense. Uh, I didn't need to have an impressive resume to put out into the corporate world to try to go get hired somewhere. I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. So I took all the economics, the accounting, the business law, the public speaking, the you know, the core classes that were required in a business sure. administration degree. Uh, and, and short of doing, like I said, the physical education, I could have transferred over uh, you know, to a, a business administration degree. But I, I think that... Yeah, at the time, in the, two, in the early 2000s, um, I, I really had gotten everything that I wanted to out of school and was trying to adapt that to this business specifically. How does the scrap industry interact with the economics that I'd learned in school? How does the business law interact with the retail operations that we have? So yeah. that's, I think, one of the better things that preparing me to take over um, that, that we combined you know, did. Uh, there were also classes that were not offered in the administ business administration program that I had to go outside to get. Marketing was something that I went out uh, to another college to get some marketing. Yeah. Um, just enough to have. Again, I, I didn't need to go learn how to be an accountant. Yeah. I didn't need to learn how to go be a marketing director. Yeah. I just needed to learn how to read accounting. I needed yeah. to learn how to understand how to market. You know, this is a retail business. Uh, and so that was an important part that we both realized that I needed to get. Yeah. Well, with that, I mean, there, there's this rich history of 70 years, uh, you know, whether it's the industry itself, the technology, the marketing. How have you seen it change over the past, maybe not the whole 70 years, but uh, since your grandfather had uh, started running it? Certainly since my grandfather has taken over, there's been a lot of uh, change. In fact, uh, the business that he ran in the late 1950s and 40s all the way up until really the 80s when my grandfather made the change was a full service or late model business. Uh, meaning that they would buy late model or new vehicles that had been recently wrecked and say, sell the body parts in a wholesale market to other body shops and that kind of thing. Uh, my dad in the late 1980s had seen the self-service or pick-your-part type of operation in California um, and you know, took a big leap and changed at the time. This, this was our only operation. Um, changed a little bit of our yard over to this self-service where they would do this crazy thing by letting the customers out into the field to pick their own <laughs> yeah. parts off these cars. Such a uh, crazy thing to do at the time. Yeah. Uh, and within less than three months, he turned the entire field over uh, wow. because it was a totally different type of business. Same industry, but the mentality behind what you're doing when you buy the vehicles, what you do with the vehicles, what 
you're trying to get your revenue streams is a completely different business than what the full service uh, model he had been working up until that point. So that is probably the most profound change that Chesterfield Auto Parts has seen in the past 70 years, going from that full service late model operation, the first half, to this self-service pick your part model that we're now known more for um, and that we're really embracing now. So uh, also the the wholesale, the retail operation was the primary function of that type of business, where now the majority of our revenue comes from actually recycling the automobiles. Gotcha. Um, so that's something that, you know, even in the eight years that I've been in in, in charge of this company, uh, you know, has has kind of tipped over. When my dad was running it, it was quickly, it was a 50-50 yeah. split. We were doing parts and we were doing recycling, but we, you know, we're seeing a fairly close split between the revenue sources. And now in the past eight years, um, it has definitely swapped over to where we are seeing more revenue come from our scrap. So uh, when you think about innovating, uh, you know, how do you go about testing? I mean, before you make that leap, because I think as business owners, we have to constantly innovate, mm-hmm. whether it's moving all your trucks to one location mm-hmm. or the technology. How do you go about that? And what started some of those changes for, for Chesterfield Auto? Well, the more and more I get into this business, the more and more I realize that my dad's cliches are actually true. And one of the <laughs> ones that he used to tout a lot is the only constant is change. Yeah. And I think that you know, understanding that this business and this industry is a constant changing thing because, I mean, if you put it in context, our businesses run off automobiles, and automobiles are literally changed every single year. Um, The technology in automobiles is advancing so fast that we have to be able to adapt with that. The vehicles that we're getting into our yard are 10-year-old vehicles. So we're starting to see more hybrids, um, Hmm. uh, and that's something that we've not had to deal with. It's a totally different type of battery than what auto recyclers are typically... Sure. So, you know, it's really just being involved with state and local, uh, you know, state and and national associations, trade associations, keeping involved with other businesses in the area that are in the same type of industry, um, and having good people to work for you. That's really the thing. Um, You know, we have people who sell our material all over the world, and they communicate with us what's happening with the scrap industry. And that really is one of the things that we do to kind of – decide what processes we're going to change is the changing markets in the scrap industry. But if, if aluminum goes up in value, it may make more sense for us to take a different recycling approach. If copper decreases in value, we may stop doing one thing. So, uh, you know, having people kind of help me watch the markets is a big thing too. Uh, it was the trend uh, expansion because you know you started, I believe, with just that initial store, mm-hmm. and now you have three locations. You know, a lot of folks get um, grow really quickly because of expansion. Some people get crushed because they don't, you know, take a look at the right thing. What was your mindset in expanding and, and dedicating just a, a, a truck location? Mm-hmm. What's the mindset behind that? Well, opening the third location was a good opportunity for us because it gave us an opportunity or a chance to really, you know, dominate this market in the self-service niche. Um, and, and so, when we opened up that yard in, in Midlothian in 2013, uh, we were running it just like our other two locations, just an extension, a third location for us. And uh, within a year or two, we kind of realized that. 
there are too many of the exact same operations in too small of an area. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing that we did buy that location because if somebody else had, it would have been a serious competition for us. Yeah. So uh, that's when we started to look at what can we do to kind of make this a different store, make this a specialty store, give people a reason to go to this location instead of it just being a third option for Chesterfield Auto Parts. And so we started looking at uh, the possibility of having a specialty type of yard, do we do a truck yard, maybe yeah. we have a late model or a primo yard. So we looked at uh, other operations throughout the country, we talked to yeah. some industry experts, we looked at what other people have tried and failed at, um, and what we realized is that trucks are an inherently um, junkyard mechanic type of vehicle. Uh, you know, the people who drive trucks are tend to be a lot more the pick-apart type of customer. Yeah. Uh, and the trucks are more valuable to us because they have more weight. Okay. And the parts are more valuable to customers because they generally will last longer. So sure. we decided that we were going to try to make this an all-truck yard. Uh, it wasn't anything that anybody had tried. My dad for years had talked about having an all-truck operation, but there wasn't anybody that we could go to to see whether or not this was going to work or not. We just had to do our assessments, we polled the audience, we, we, we thought about it for about six months, and in the end we decided, all right, let's make it happen. And so January 1st of 2015, we started setting nothing but trucks. And it has turned out to be very beneficial for us. This truck concept has uh, really taken off. A lot of people like it because before we would have, you know, 15 F-150s kind of spread out between the entire Richmond area. Yeah. Now we have 15 at one yard. Yeah. Um, and so it's really made the inventory at our car lots better, and it's specialized the inventory at the truck yard, and the customers have really appreciated that. So. It made it more convenient, for sure. It makes it a lot more convenient, yeah. yeah. So how did you get the word out? I, I know one of the things that you've done really well and people would be shocked at is the marketing piece. What was your approach, not only marketing the, the truck yard, but just marketing in general? Because y'all were pretty disruptive in the industry in doing that. Mm -hmm. And what was the mindset investing so much mm -hmm. in that marketing side? I think we realized that we're a retail business. And any retail business that expects to do well has to let the customers know that they're there. Um, and you know, we just realized that that was an important part of what this business was becoming in the mid-1990s is, is when we started doing this, late, late 1990s. Uh, so it was a fairly new thing. We'd only been doing this less than 10 years. We were yeah. still trying to figure out exactly how do we make this thing work. Um, but we invested a lot of money. We hired a, uh, a marketing firm to, we just tasked them. Uh, you know, again, I think my dad was smart because he's an automobile recycler, yeah. not a marketing guy. So yeah. he hired a marketing uh, company that had been referred to us, and we said, this is what we're trying to do. Make it happen. Yeah. And they approached us with a really good marketing strategy that has been a huge success, uh, success in the Richmond area. In fact, uh, recently we've discovered that Chesterfield Auto Parts is the name that people think of when they're asked about a junkyard in the Richmond area. So we've actually, here recently, kind of changed our marketing approach and changed how we're reaching and who we're reaching out to yeah. based on the fact that we have such a strong uh, you know, conventional media presence. Yeah. And that Great that brand average, presence. Exactly. That, that brand recognition has become so valuable for us that we've kind of been able to branch out into other marketing. Uh, what would you say, you know, for folks who may be running into a little bit more challenge in their business and, and you know, thinking about the marketing or, or making mistakes in the marketing, what, what, uh, what would be the core kind of lesson or guideline that you run by to make 
more customers come in. Just like the point I was making about not being an accountant, um, hire somebody to do it for you. You need to concentrate on your own business. You need yeah. to concentrate on maximizing what you do instead of trying to develop your own marketing team. So hiring somebody um, is the only way we could have done it. You know, the, the, in the typical advertising mentality, especially in the self-service auto parts uh, businesses, you know, well, you just do as little as you can for yeah. as cheaply as you can, and you hope you get what you get out of it. Um, but again, we realize that if we're trying to expand the retail markets of this business, that we have to reach out to the people and tell them what we do. It was a new concept when we started doing it. Not a lot of people were familiar with it. Yeah. Go out and pull your own parts junkyard. Yeah. So uh, the, the hiring of the business and, and the recognizing that there are people out there who are experts at this um, was the best move that we made yeah. because it really gave the people at the marketing agency an opportunity to show us yeah. uh, what what a true advertising comprehensive approach should look like. Sure. Um, and so that was just the best decision that we made yeah. for that. Awesome. Well, you've made, it seemed like you made a lot of great decisions along the way. Um, what mistakes or challenges, if any, did you run into that you didn't expect and that was a little bit tougher to overcome yeah. than, than others? There are certain factors that, in, that no business owner has control of. As much yeah. as we try to control our business, things yeah. like the economy yeah. um, and uh, you know, those kind of macro level things certainly do affect us. Um, the scrap markets tanked in uh, you know, the 2009 and 10, right after the Cash for Clunkers um, program. And, and so that was a huge thing for us. You know, we, we had planned in 2008 to be at level one, and two years later in 2010, we were way below level one. And so mm -hmm. it kind of really put a kink in the development, that, the plans that we had in place. Um, completely changed the entire industry. You know, the value yeah. of the cars went way up yet the value of the steel was way low. So I mean, Oof, it, we yeah. lost a, we had a 400% decline in the uh, value of our goods in less than a month. Mm. And so you just can't That's plan tough. for that. It yeah. is tough. So we had to be able to adapt and we had to recognize the fact that I had to recognize the fact that the revenue stream that we had planned on, that we had relied on, that we had budgeted yeah. for is no longer there. So what are we gonna do to create more streams of revenue into this business from what we've got? Uh, that's when I think we really started putting more emphasis onto the retail side because mm. the, uh, the scrapping, the auto parts, uh, the scrapping of the steel part had, had gone away. Yeah. So the thing that we still had was our retail operation. So we started introducing new products that we could offer to our customers like aftermarket warranties, mm. uh, parts pulling service, uh, and, and just trying to think of other ways that we could reach out to the customers. That's one of the first things, uh, that was one of the first times we actually gained a digital or social media presence. We had okay. never up until this point had any kind of internet presence. In fact, it was of my dad's opinion to not tell the customers that you didn't have the yard. For the longest time, we didn't that? even yeah. have telephones on the counter because my Goodness. dad didn't want customers to call up and us tell them we don't have the part. Uh-huh. So you wanted that foot traffic. Exactly. Okay. The idea was to get people in the door so that you could get them out into the field and they would find the part and buy more parts. So what we had realized is that, that by 2010, that had changed a lot. And yeah. people were trying to find us and calling us and not coming out here unless we told them that we had the car. So, Makes sense. Um, from our customer feedback, we 
uh, got a very rudimentary website that showed, you know, just in a very basic style how the vehicles <laughs> were put on the field. And we thought that was good enough. And um, again, we, we had these other revenue streams coming in. And so we were able to, because we were a, a successful business that had been doing this for as long as we had, we had the manpower, the infrastructure in place, and the licenses to, 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 man, uh, to, to stand the test of time through this you know, economic downturn. It wasn't easy. Uh, we're still recovering from it now, to be candid, but uh, it gave us an opportunity to really stand back and look at the business from the retail side. And I think that, that was what enabled us to really bring the retail into the majority of our revenue, uh, you know, bring the retail portion up to where it is now. The scrap is still the, the yeah. majority of our revenue, but the difference is that now we see 70% of the customers purchasing something. When oh, back in the that's 1990s, awesome. we were lucky to have 40% of the customers buying something. And that's simply because we have developed our social media presence. We have a much better website now. And so the customers are actually able to research what we have and find out that we do or don't have the yeah. vehicles before they even come out to the yard. Um, so we're getting a lot more from a lot less. Um, that is all completely thanks to the social media development that we've been doing over the past six months. Um, just like I said before, we, we were doing just enough to get ourselves in trouble uh, and do more harm than good in our yeah. social media presence. I had a Facebook page. I right. knew how to make Facebook pages, and so I made a Facebook page, and I would post cars online and, yeah. and things like that, and I thought that that's what you should do. Yeah. And then we went to a, you know, a, a trade association meeting, and the lady was like, definitely do not post the cars that you're, <laughs> you know. And yeah. we realized real quickly after that one weekend that yeah. we were doing more harm than good because we were just not up to speed on where we should be. And so that's when uh, it just so happens, like the week after we got back from this, my manager saw the article about SuccessWorks in, in one of the local papers. And so we immediately said, man, this is exactly what we were talking about last yeah. week. We need to hire this company that is doing exactly what we decided we needed to do. Yeah. Develop a new website, get us a, a social media presence that's actually doing us some good. Yeah. Um, and so let's at least set up a meeting and talk to, talk to the guy. Yeah, awesome. And so Nat and Ryan came over and, and told us exactly what we wanted to hear. Um, and, you know, we signed up with them and have been just been blown away by how much I think the thing that we're most shocked by is how much we didn't know about before <laughs> and, and, and how smart we were uh, to, like I said with the advertising agency, hire somebody that does this for a living. Yeah. Success Works spends their entire life learning about the internet, the social media, how humans are interacting in this, you know, this experiment that we're doing in, in, in social media um, and why should we try to do all this stuff we're automobile recyclers yeah. if social if success works wants to recycle cars they come to talk to me yeah. if I want to have a social media platform I should talk to yeah. them so that's what we did and, and you know together with our conventional marketing people uh, we've really rebranded this image of Chesterfield Auto Parts uh, from what we were back in the uh, you know back before yeah. um, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah. So, uh, well, appreciate the kind words, first of all, uh, Troy. I, I really meant this to be about you, but I uh, yeah. appreciate you pointing it back to us. Yeah. Um, so with that, you've been able to 
go through some changes uh, and lead your people in different directions, how do you make that shift? One, how do you identify those shifts? And then once you do, you're, you're changing your visions. How do you pe- how do you lead people in those new visions and, and have them follow? I think that's some of the biggest challenges for some of the companies out there, especially because you said that the between 2008 and 2010, everybody knows about that big hit. You know, all the forecasters saying there's another one coming. Mm-hmm. You know, for the folks that are not ready for that, or, or when that happens, how do they get ready for that and push that new vision? It's really just understanding your business and understanding the factors that affect your business. Um, you know, we have to be able to identify our business is two different things we are the retail side that deals with the public's image of of what we do and then there's the automobile recycling side so the challenge for us was to reach out to the retail operations demographics and figure out who is it that is our customer Uh, and what we realized is that um, we were kind of the, the name in the area, and so we didn't really need to spend all of our marketing time and effort and money uh, into telling people that Chesterfield Auto Parts is here. What we needed to do is concentrate more on the people that we were not experienced as our customers already. So doing market research and working with marketing firms, we under- came to an understanding that um, uh, older males tended to be our number one demographic currently, and that the younger generation, specifically the 16 to, 20, uh, 16 to 32 year olds, uh, were one of the lowest demographics, and that women were only about a third of our, uh, of our customer basis. So we worked with our advertising and marketing agencies to figure out how do we approach these two demographics that we don't have. We, we've yeah. realized that we don't really need to market to the customers that we already have. We just need to make sure that they understand we're still here. We're still yeah. providing the services we've already had. The things you've always liked about Chesterfield Auto Parts, we've now made it easier. Yeah. The thing that we needed, to, the challenge that we had was how do we appeal to the women and how do we appeal to the younger generation of both men and women who are apprehensive about working on their own cars? Again, gotcha. the marketing agencies and, and, and advertisers were able to kind of identify that the younger generation were scared when they opened the hood and looked under that and saw yeah. all these hoses and, oh my Definitely. God, what am I supposed to do? There's no way I could fix this. And so the challenge that we put to them was, you've identified who we need to re- reach out to, tell us how to do it. And that's, again, where hiring the experts has paid off yeah. because I'm concentrating on recycling cars and expanding our customer data, you know, our customers, um, they are able to sit down and think, what do we need to do to kind of portray the image of Chesterfield Auto Parts to these young kids sure. and to these women? And, you know, again, that's where it really paid off. So it seems like you've seen some of these trends come along. What do you think is the next trend in your industry or in, or in business at large? Well, I think that the, the trend is, you know, for better or for worse, less personal interactivity. The, mm-hmm. no, the newer generations coming up, again, through our market research has shown that, um, the, you know, that human interaction is something that the youngest generation does not want to have. In fact, they want to try to avoid it. That's why text messaging has become such a yeah. big thing. Um, and so we you know, have tried to develop our business around that. We actually have a feature now that allows you to text our standard seven-digit phone number that we've had since yeah. seven-digit phone numbers were created. Uh, you can use your cell phone and text to our landline, and it comes right to our point of sales cash registers. Pretty cool. And our people can respond to it right there on your phone. Yeah. 
Uh, we sell parts, we sell cars, we tell customers that we have vehicles out there, all through text messaging. Yeah. Um, and that is an effort directed right at that 16-year-old yeah. and the 15-year-old who's getting ready to get his driver's license because yeah. that's how the kids communicate these days. We, we've actually had to text-enable our, um, our landline phones ourselves because yeah. folks uh, don't even think about it because they're whatever calls they're getting, oh, I'll just text them right back because exactly. I'm in a meeting, whatever the case may that's be. That's how people communicate these days. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you give a, a lot back to the community. How do you decide what organizations to give to and what's going to resonate with your employees um, because you know I hear all the, the, the successful business and, and entrepreneurs say you, you need to give back. What's the, the process in, in going after or not going after rather but uh, contributing back to the uh, community society? Well being a big part of the community is one of the most important things to us. We're a local business that has always yeah. been run right here in Richmond. Uh, so being able to be a part of our community is something that's very important to me and was very important to my dad and grandfather as well. So uh, that's one of the most difficult things is who do you help? Um, because there are obviously a lot of people who need help. And, you know, as much as I'd like to try to help everybody, there has to be some, sure. you know. So what we've tried to do is just work out you know, who is able to provide the most bang for the buck in the local community. That's why we've tried to reach out with local food banks because again, what we give goes right directly back to our immediate community. It's not That's a big great. nationwide charity where it gets distributed and you never know what really happens to it. This has a palpable, tangible, we can directly be involved with what our uh, funds are doing. Um, the National Kidney Foundation was a big partner with us all through the 90s and early 2000s with the Kidney Car Program. Yeah. Uh, and we had a unique opportunity because we were able to deal with the cars. The whole that reason sense. that the kidney car and, and really vehicle for charity program came to fruition in this area is because there was a business like Chesterfield Auto Parts who could handle all these junk derelict cars. I mean, yeah. we're talking about resale. You know, people wanted to buy these cars. Yeah. The Kidney Foundation was looking for somebody that could process these junk cars. So that was something that worked out. Uh, well for the kidney patients in Virginia, it worked out well for the foundation, yeah. it worked out well for us, it worked out for everybody. So that was uh, you know, something that, that we were happy to be a part of. But it's a challenge to, to try to decide who you help and who you don't. Yeah. We try to help as little bit with just about everybody that we can um, and you know, stay as local as we can yeah. so that we can see the return on our donations. Yeah, and, and you, uh, well, before the interview, we were talking a little bit about how you were giving back personally uh, at a young age, being an mm -hmm. EMT and, and, and um, doing mm -hmm. that for 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you got into it, because it seemed like a really interesting story, how you got into that, that, the whole rescue squad and being an EMT and, and serving in that capacity. Yeah, we were at a friend's house and uh, one summer day and I uh, noticed that one of my friends was floating at the bottom of the pool. And so, you know, I jumped in and grabbed him up and, and you know, w thought that he was kind of joking until I realized that he wasn't really breathing. And so, uh, you know, we told him to call call 911 and I just remember sitting there, you know, panicking, just sheer terror, sitting there holding one of my best friends dying because yeah. I didn't know what to do. And I knew there was something I should be doing. What yeah. do I need to be doing? Uh, and just remembering that I'm never, ever again in my life going to be put in a position where I'm going to have to watch somebody die because yeah. I didn't know what to do. So uh, just by coincidence, I, I ended up joining the rescue squad that responded that day. 
Uh, and it turns out that it was on a Wednesday, and that was the day that I ended up writing. So uh, for about 10 years, I, I volunteered all day Wednesdays at the local volunteer rescue squad for 10 hours, I'm sorry, for 12 hours a day. Um, just about until the time that my dad retired. It became, became very difficult to devote 12 hours a week <laughs> <laughs> to, to free. But it, it was a, probably one of the most profound experiences of my life. I was yeah. never lucky enough to serve in the military. Yeah. But I can think that this is probably the closest thing, uh, the, the closest connection that I can have to you know somebody like my dad who served in the reserves for 10 yeah. years. I never had an opportunity to, to give back to my country, but at least I was able to serve the community in some yeah. way. And fortunately, I still remember a little bit of that stuff. So, yeah, and it's so, a bonus for your family. Exactly. Yeah, now that you're exactly. Kind of I, I don't one. think the Heimlich maneuver has changed. Since <laughs> <I retired so>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be conscious of time, so I'm going to get into, uh, go ahead and get into the speed round. All right. Okay. Um, so you, you mentioned a lot of great folks, and you mentioned your dad, of course, is a great entrepreneur. Who's an entrepreneur out there that you admire? That's a that's a good question. I think anybody who takes a vision that they have and turns it into a successful operation, uh, recognizing that there was a need or, you know, especially somebody who started out in one thing but then identified that there was a, a niche that they were really good at. Uh, in one word, how would you describe Chesterfield Auto Parts? Mm. Unique. Cool. Yeah, you are. You guys are very unique. How about yourself? Lucky. Oh, I am one of the. I am the luckiest guy that I know. Yeah. I wouldn't. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing in my life. So. That's awesome. It, it's kind of funny that I'm going to the next question. What business would you be in if you weren't <laughs> <laughs> just real auto? Uh, you know, I, that's one of the things that keeps me up at night. Is God, what's going to happen tomorrow if something changes yeah. where where I you know I'm no longer able to do this business? What would I do? I certainly can't retire. Yeah. Um, I think the EMS. I would probably go back into the EMS field because oh, cool. it was it was exciting. That yeah, was one of the things neat. that I liked about it. You never. I'm not the kind of guy who wants to sit behind a desk and and work on a computer all day. I need to go out into the field. I need to go to one of the other stores. And so that was one of the the things that I you know kind of selfishly enjoyed about uh, doing the EMS. Is it was fun. You know, yeah. I really had a good time. It was exciting. Every single time those tones went off, your heart would start racing. And you know, what are we getting ready to go do now? Um, so I, you know, I think I'd like to do that. Maybe not in the, the leadership capacity that I was, but I'd like to just drive an ambulance. How about that? That's fun. <laughs> um, Y'all crush a lot of cars around here. What's your favorite car to crush? Favorite car to crush? That's a. <laughs> they're all fun to crush. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the car, it never gets old. That's another yeah. the reason I like this job. Was yeah. you know watching us tear these cars apart and crushing sure. cars never gets old. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think minivans are probably the best because there's all huh. this glass that breaks oh, out. Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I got a chance to see one. That, was, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite car? Hmm. That's a dangerous question to ask somebody like me. A car guy <laughs> like me that. I, I don't really know. My favorite car. For today, at least. I, would, I, I have a... Dodge Viper that my dad bought in 2000. That oh. was like the first like whoa thing yeah. that, that that you know anybody ever bought, um, and it's sweet. It's a real car, man. It's you know no ABS brakes, no traction yeah. control or cruise control. It's you have to drive that yeah. car. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a head turner. Yeah. 
So okay. that's probably Dodge my Viper. favorite favorite car that I've ever had. Cool. That is cool. I like Dodge Vipers. Yeah. Um, now a little bit more, uh, even more personal note, bourbon or beer? Beer. Oh, uh, okay. What's, what's your favorite Actually, beer lately? Actually, take that back. What do I mean beer? No, bourbon. I'm, bourbon? I'm uh, yeah, bourbon on the rocks kind of guy. Bourbon on the rocks. What's your favorite bourbon? Jim Beam Black. Oh, wow. I haven't tried that one. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. All right, well, last three questions. Um, first, I want to acknowledge you for uh, all the things you've done uh, with, with the business, being able to provide so many jobs for the community, uh, giving back to the community. So we always appreciate that. And, and you know, all the vendors you support, including us. Mm -hmm. So we appreciate that. Um, so let's go into the last three questions. Is what, what are your three secrets to success in, in life or business? I don't really think it's much of a secret that you need to hire people that you need to have good people. You can't do this all yourself. Uh, and if you are doing it yourself, then you're doing it wrong. Mm. Because if you can't rely on people to manage the business for you, then you can't concentrate on expanding the business, which is really mm. what any business wants to do, uh, is grow and to expand. And yeah. if you are focusing every single second of the day on making sure that the business that you're currently have is is running then you're not doing what you're supposed to do as a business owner gotcha okay uh, any other uh, what's um, another two again understanding the business you need to be able to predict what's going to happen you need to understand the history and the ups and downs of what your industry whether it's dry cleaning or automobile recycling uh, understanding what if you're a retail business who are your customers what are their trends um Again, that's something that I've just realized in the past couple of years here. This is not something that I learned in college or that my dad taught me. It's yeah. something that is part of that constant change that we go through. Um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, these things were not discussed in our business. There was no yeah. internet. There was no cell phones. People didn't try to look up your internet on their phone. That didn't happen. Yeah. They had to come out. And so, you know, being able to understand the industry and the customers that we have and how they're changing yeah. has been something that has been very important for me. And, and the businesses that have not made it through the hard times, and there have been a ton of them, yeah. are the ones who are continuing to try to operate like they did 10 and 15 years ago uh, because they haven't changed with the times. Any, any last one? Um, you got people, you got to know your business. Got to have the people, you have to know your business, and you have to enjoy it. If you don't like your job, then what are you doing wasting your time? Yeah. You know that old question, if you never had to work again, what would you do with your life? Um, that's that's a, a question that I take seriously because, like I said, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. If I, for whatever reason, couldn't do this job, I would figure out something. But I love this job, not just because I'm the boss, but because I love cars. I love crushing cars yeah. and finding out what's going on and what's wrong with the cars. I love the automobile industry. So Very cool. um, you have to have a passion for what you do. If you don't like what you do, you're doing the wrong thing. That's good stuff. People know your business, enjoy it. That's right. Simple. I like if you're it. not having fun, you shouldn't be doing it. Awesome. Um, real quick before the final question I ask every uh, guest we have, how can folks connect with you? I'm guessing some of the social media outlets That's out right. there. That's right. We have a uh, very uh, robust Facebook presence. So Chesterfield Auto Parts on Facebook. Uh, ChesterfieldAutoParts.com is our uh, website. And obviously, I can be reached at my office and, and uh, try to get back with you as soon as I can. Awesome. Last question is, what is your definition of success? 
I have to think about that one, Matt, because... Yeah, yeah everyone has a, a different definition right. of success. Yeah. And I always like to hear, you know, because a lot of folks get stuck in their business and they, they have this um, image of success, what mm -hmm. they've been told, and, and maybe that's not the definition for them. So it might help yeah, I know, think stir the, some things. I think the key to my success, or the, I guess if that's what the... The key to the success that I've had in business is growing with the industry. Change. Um, if we were still doing things the way that we were when my dad was running this business, then we're not running a successful operation. Putting time and effort back into the business shows that you care in the business. And if you're just trying to run status quo and keep doing things the way that you have, you're not growing. You're not improving. And to me, that's not successful. That's just doing. Yeah. You're not succeeding. You're just operating. You know. Um, but I guess that's probably the best way for me to you know describe success is that you achieve the goals that you set out to to, to achieve, and that you're having a good time. Awesome. Awesome. I hope, appreciate I hope that the time. It, yeah. No, that's great. Everybody has their own definition. <laughs> uh, gr great stuff there. Well, that's Troy Weber of Chesterfield Auto Parts, everybody. Thanks so much for joining appreciate us today. That. Until I see you next time, be successful and stay social. Hey, everyone. You can see how insightful Troy is and what kind of leader he is, even at such a young age. And I encourage you, if you find value in this, to please rate this on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. Share this with others uh, via social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as uh, email the link to somebody that might be able to gain something out of this. So appreciate uh, all your support. Please give any feedback that you might have. I look forward to uh, sharing more information with you on the next episode. Till then, be successful and stay social.